Alexa, what time is it? It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Hello and hello till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. Okay, so here we are, Ian. We've had a break. And we're back. Yes, we we are back entirely, as you say, after a roller coaster weather of the great British summer, eating out to help out, doing all those good things. And yeah, we're back as the with a political hot potato, a spud of such monumental warm tuba based nature. We really had to do a pod this week, didn't we? We well, um, we we'd scheduled to be back this uh, this week, so that was a strange bit of um, forward thinking and forward planning on our behalf. Um, but to be fair to us, the government are doing a good job of giving us things to talk about. But I'm sure that's not their reason. Uh, it's it's, it's going to. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's entirely behind the reasoning behind recent events, but um. But, you know, luckily it's given us something to kick about. It has indeed. Um, so I see we've already got Lynn joining us in, in the chat. So welcome back, Lynn. Hope you haven't missed us too much. Um, so so we've got some stuff on today. So what are we talking about today, Ian? Well, we'll have a look at on this day, see what the 23rd of August did in years gone by. We've then got the great Simonometer. Which yes. is as we thunder towards the time where you have to cast your stone for either Ed Davey or the other one. It's which way are you going to go? Wow. And then we've got guests. We have. We've got Susie and Terry who've joined us before, our educational specialists and experts from the Blue and Yellow team to kick around all the interesting dimensions of recent grades, allocations, U-turns algorithms it's all going on it is indeed so we have a roller coaster a rip roaring ride of rollicking i can't think of any other i've run out of ours i'm not no, i've worn out the alliteration out of alliteration though. yeah um so okay so let's get going then so on this day so in the history of august 23rds the, the three kind of top picks that I came with. So 1305, William Wallace is executed. Um, so he was executed in London for treason uh, for, and condemning, condemned for leading the Scottish resistance uh, forces during the first years of the long and ultimately successful struggle to free Scotland. Sorry, ult- ultimately successful Scotland? I think someone might have edited that somehow. Um, to free Scotland from English rule. Well, yeah, they definitely put that one to bed, didn't they? Well, they're still kicking it about, aren't they? Our, our uh, what's her name? Nicola Sturgeon. She's she's still very keen on your Scottish independence. Um, and I think I saw a poll in the week that said the majority of Scots, it's now tipped 55-45. But um, yeah, I'm sure at some point when all of the dust has settled around the pandemic, there'll be an element of, can we have a referendum, please? Um, well, I guess it will turn out on how the Scottish Parliament elections go next year. Um, but um, so, yeah, so the other things on there. So in 1939, Germany and the Soviet Union signed a non-aggression pact, uh, dividing Eastern Europe into German and Soviet spheres of influence. And that worked so well that on the same day, three, la- three years later, the Battle of Stalingrad, 600 Luftwaffe planes dropped bombs on Stalingrad, killing uh, 40,000 people. So, um, yes. That's if ever there was reneging on the deal, that's right up there, isn't it? That's, uh, that's not lost in the fine print. Uh, non-aggression pact. Yeah, I, th- I think I think bombing your city is pretty much a breach of a non-aggression pact. I think by anybody's definition. I think even Nigel Farage would struggle to make um, yeah. that not seem like a breach. Um, so there we go. So that was our yeah. where we. Um, so that was where we've been historically on August the twenty third. Um, so the Simonometer. Should we move on to the Simonometer? Yes. So um, sorry. Yeah, so last time you were you were 
riddled with indecision. Yes. But the, um, the, the deadline must be looming, isn't it? Yes. So the deadline for voting is at 1pm uh, on Wednesday, the 26th of August. And the result is declared the next day, the 27th. Um, so next Thursday, we will know who the new leader of the Liberal Democrats... Is that because there's so few, few votes to count? Outrageous. Well, last time, um, last time I saw figures, there were 120,000 members um, and supporters. So, um, is there really? Yes. So that oh, is um, that's, that's more than the Conservative Party, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm assuming you don't. Include, I'm assuming you don't include the ones in cemeteries. So. Um, so, uh, yes, we shall see uh, next Thursday who the new leader is. But, yes, I started off um, undecided. Um, I didn't know which way to go, and you will make your own jokes about that. Um, and um, I've kind of leaned... Um, at, so, having voted for Ed last time, I've uh, leaned a bit more towards Layla, and over the last couple of weeks, to be honest, my my... Uh, I'm really more in the, I'm really firmly in the Layla camp, but I'm I'm leaving it until close to the last minute to cast my ballot. Because I'm um, like a, like a decent Lib Dem, I could change skills, my mind, brother Simon. Yeah, but let's not leave it till Wednesday. I yeah, can I see you stumbling to your computer at ten past one, thinking, "Oh balls! I know there was something I meant to do today." Yeah, when I say last minute, I don't literally mean the last sixty seconds of the of the of of it, because I'm right. sure you know the the website is bound to kind of crash or something at that point. So I I shall endeavour to cast my ballot early Wednesday morning, if at, at the latest, I sh I should imagine. So I'll be able to report to our avid listeners which which way um, or which person actually did get my um, did get my support. But there we are. So, right. And we'll know who won, won't we? We'll, well, yes, and we won't have to wait long to know who won and um, whether that was the, you know, um, because it's the Lib Dems and that means that who, regardless who wins, that doesn't mean, like some other parties I could mention, that doesn't mean that half the party will be hating the other party and and saying that they're, um, saying that they're insert party colour and affiliation with other party kind of people. That won't be happening in the Lib Dems. We we disagree nicely. We're um we're polite radicals. There we go. I don't know if that's a stunned silence or just a lag there, Ian. <laughs> no, I I I was I was debating the many answers that I could have given to that, but in the spirit of warmth and bomb for me, I've parked them all. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Audience, I, I made Ian um Use tact and diplomacy. There's a there's a first for everything. Um, How okay. dare you, sir? <laughs> I am I am the peacemaker. Uh, if you see my work on on social media, I am I am the soothing balm. Yeah, in the same I'm way that the, in the same I'm way that, the sobering ying to the headstrong yang. In the same way that Admiral Dernitz is a peacemaker. Yes. Um. So. Um. Okay. <laughs> so. So the education. So. Um. So, will will our guests be asking um, be asking Gavin Williamson to go away? It should shut up. Or or will they be saying that he's done a fine job and everything's working, Rosie, in in the world of education? Invite them in. Yes. Well. We are a little bit um, ahead. I, th I thought I would waffle for longer than that, but obviously I didn't. Um, my internet connection seems to be on the fritz, so um, do um, do bear with us. But let's um, let's get our two guests in. So we have uh, Councillor Terry Norton and Councillor Susie Horton, Norton and Horton. I'm sure I did that last Special time that we agents. had them. Yeah, this we agreed. Yes. Um, so let's let's have them both in. And here they are. So we have welcome. We have Susie, and yep, that. Hello. Welcome, Susie. Thank you. And Terry's just joining us. Hello, Terry. Um, we didn't get your audio. 
Try again. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, yeah, we've got oh, you. Yeah. Brilliant. It, it would make for right. an interesting debate if you were on mute the whole time, but um, you'd have to kind of <laughs> um, do it by gesticulation. I don't know if that's a, a new version of um, a parlour game that we could do. <laughs> Through mine. Not yeah. very bloody inclusive, is it, Simon? I was saying, I was trying not to say what oh god stop it stop outrageous stop digging holes that's outrageous of, of you but um but yes um anywho welcome to you both thank you for giving up your sunday afternoon or evening we're here again yes yeah, here, again. here we are again um so um so gavin williamson so ah it's been a bit of a been a bit of a couple of weeks for him and for and for um students across the country um so Probably the probably the sanest thing for us to do is to, is to ask you in turn to tell us how what's your experience been of what's happening on the ground and how that's been and how the kind of whole situation has has played out. So if I if I go to if I go to Susie first, um, if that's all right, now that she's actually just decided to start a drink, <laughs> <laughs> there's not gin there's not gin in that mug, is there? It's a bit earlier. Um... No, I don't drink. Interesting um, times. Um, not a surprise. Um, I guess for me, right from the beginning, it was about trying to be fair and not always taking a negative view on what isn't must be a really challenging and difficult and situation which was completely unplannable for. Um, and I kept quiet for quite a while for the first U-turn and the second U-turn and the third U-turn. But um, I think on this one, really, it was obvious what the pitfalls were. And um, I think that anybody in education who had been tasked with a really, let's be honest, a really challenging thing to do, which is to try and make a fair system out of this um, really unique uh, circumstances of exams being cancelled. Um, I think most people in education could have predicted the pitfalls without actually predicting them, identifying them, and then completely falling for them through your own policy. So um, I actually think Gavin Williamson's a jolly lucky person to still be in his job, quite frankly. I can think of uh, people who've got for a lot less but um that's my kind of high level starter on um on the situation um completely by the way i have to say that i think it was the right thing to do when it was becoming really really apparent that to stick to your guns would be to disadvantaged already disadvantaged people i think it was the right thing to do because it Let's be honest, he would have known the flax that was coming his way. Not a bad so kick off with that. Terry, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, in, in terms of, of, of Gavin Williams, I don't think he's particularly uh, user-friendly. And I think, you know, we saw that during the um, the announcements and the briefings that we had, didn't we? Uh, and, and I've always said, you know, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if you had a teacher or a head teacher as a Secretary of State for Education who really, really knew uh, knows the ins and outs of education, how things work, as opposed to the kind of archetypical kind of politician that we always sort of seem to see. Um, however, I don't... I think... I don't disagree with his intuition, um, and I think the algorithm as a concept was probably uh, something which appeared to be uh, initially was, was the right intention. I think that would have been quite fair. It didn't work, and I kind of think credit to the government for um, U-turning and, and saying, you know what, we haven't got this right, so let's move over uh, to plan B. Um, I don't know that teacher assessment is, uh, or the predictions that the teachers uh, have put in are, are any fairer, I think, you know, but in terms of this cohort and what they've already been through, the key thing for me is benefit of the doubt. And I think the teacher assessment would have given or have given um, the benefit of the doubt uh, to a cohort that have already uh, suffered um, a, a large amount. Uh, I do, I struggle with what comes next because mm. I think teaching is often a quite a um, glamorized profession or, or you know, a romanticized, should we say. And we, we, you know, we have a lot of respect for teachers who do, who do a very, very good job. But what we don't see 
are, are the pressures that teachers face day in, day out um, to, to, to get the grade and the accountability that is put on to those individuals, uh, those teachers, if you know, their students don't make the grade. We don't see you know, uh, academies pushing teachers in terms of uh, trajectory and, and aeroplane paths when they talk about data and things like that. And I think there is a huge amount of accountability on teachers nowadays to um, to really you know, to, to, to make the grade. It's data driven often more than practice. And Ooh. with that in mind, are we really, you know, honestly going to say that all teachers will? Um, give a very honest reflection or will they worry about how it reflects badly on them and accountability and all those sort of things so it's it's a really difficult one um, for me in a time where I think teachers are judged so much on what they can evidence and um, you know uh, we see book scrutinies and uh, raids and all of that sort of thing and, and they're almost judged on on what they uh, can prove as opposed to what they, their practice is I'm shocked that we couldn't find um, a better way than just saying to teachers in the end, you know, what do you think? Um, but yeah. yeah, benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and I think that that for me is that it's interesting you touched there, Susie, on the fact that the pitfalls were obvious. And uh, I guess I'd be interested in both of your perspectives on the fact that that you know it, it must have been incredibly difficult for teachers who are looking at a co cohort of students to know which were going to be the ones that were going to have the meltdown. But I guess in the teacher assessment grades, it struck me as pretty obvious that if you were going to ask a teacher about their students, you know, teachers teach because they want students to succeed. So it seems almost inevitable to me that we were going to see the grade skewing significantly towards the upper end. I, if I can jump in there, I yep. think I think what people don't necessarily know is the, and this won't be identical in every single school, but the the stages of assessment that teachers went through in order to get to those final outcomes. And um, I can only speak to the teachers that I spoke to on results mm. day about the, what they did. And actually it was far more sophisticated and based on years worth of constant assessment. So don't forget, exams are only one form of assessment yeah. so when we say teacher assessment we're not saying a teacher saying oh do you know what yeah ian he, he's really nice and he doesn't turn up and he's really you know he tries hard so we'll give him that kind of a for effort it's it's far far more rigorous than that and actually the teachers i spoke to had taken it really I mean, the challenging bit for me of us within a cohort, and I understand that the, the whole bell graph stuff about, you know, working out what grades were nationally, but in order to do that, I, I still don't know the answer to what extent that held weight. And I guess that's what we're talking about. What were the potential pitfalls? Because for for teachers to be to go through a rigorous uh, teacher assessment process and and say, do you know what this year my physics group, they were really they're the best one I've had in ages, and therefore I think this many would have got A's or B's or whatever, and based on mocks etc. It um it does happen, and um for to go to use an algorithm that effectively replicates prior attainment, how on earth? were people able to be able to, to to move forward. And so I think if there had been a thing at the beginning which says, do you know what, as far as, um, you know, as the only thing we can do is to, to maintain the status quo, there would have been an outcry, but it, there would have been a transparency about that in the absence of exams. But to, to lead teachers and parents and pupils to a place where they felt it was going to be done based on merit um, and then to for momentarily to feel that that actually that meant nothing was I think where the biggest disappointment lay. Your thoughts Terry? Yeah I mean look I think it was you know any U-turn is always going to be criticising and that's the 
idea of opposition, isn't it? It's the opposition's job to jump on any of those sort of things. Um, I, I'm pleased that we we went with um, this system in the end. I do have concerns about where we go uh, moving forward, and I I fear that we next year we could be in a situation where we have large amounts of dropout from college. One because there's been a significant um, gap in education, and two because some of the children, uh, the, the youngsters there that are in college wouldn't have got those grades if it wasn't for the teachers uh, making that prediction. Um, so I hope that doesn't happen. And I think I'd go as far as saying that we might see, given the competitive nature of teaching, it sounds like an awful thing to say, doesn't it? You know, teachers being competitive, but there is competition um, in schools. And we have certainly in recent years kind of bred this, um, this cohort teachers who are, are very very aware of how they're graded and and their data and, and all of those kinds of things the red tape stuff um as opposed to you know often sometimes children in front of them i'd be concerned um that we may see teachers not want to take on gcse classes and maybe even you know large absence and, and, and those going off sick because they feel that the bar's been raised so high um that, that they're not going to be able to keep up with it and that will be a reflection on their practice um, you know, it's interesting what Susie said about going into school and speaking to teachers. That's really welcoming news. I think LEA schools um, you know, I would usually want to go into and see schools, and I didn't really do that because of well, COVID and what have you. Some quite strict rules about who could turn up and it was booking slots. But I watched uh, on the news, you know, the head of an academy chain, um, AET, and they've got 21 secondary schools. And lo and behold, every single one of their schools saw a huge increase in results, you know, a 40% rise in level nines. And if we're saying that that was simply a fantastic cohort, I don't know that I buy it. Um, and I think there will be a, a, across well, the country I a huge amount of grade grabbing that's going on. Well, and I think that's where uh, was, that's where I think we we now ha have a, a potential, or, or the, the the issue in terms of choo choosing your wrongness. I think is, is is a key piece here because if you look at the A and the A star grades, and I think Simon, you've got the the numbers as twenty nineteen, what the algorithm produced, and then what the teacher assessed grades produced. Um, yeah. So um, so for the um, for, with regards to A level um, in England, um, this year it was um, uh, sorry thirty eight point one percent were returned as A grade or higher, whereas the algorithm returned twenty seven point six percent. But in two thousand nineteen, it was twenty five point two percent. So you can see there's there's significant there's significant difference between between what the algorithm reported uh what the teacher assessment reported and what you know what actually happened last year um some of that could be a difference oh yeah. sorry the different the difference in this year I, and some of that could be could be the things perhaps that, that terry's terry's alluding to but i guess the big question is what do you do in absence of an exam and I think, I mean, there's an irony here that the one thing the government said that it wanted to avoid was massive grade inflation. And it's the one thing that has happened without a doubt. So that's, I mean, that is just, that is just... I, I the, carry on. Oh. I no, and, and I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, Susie, because, you know, I'm, I'm, not, an, I'm not an educator, but I know enough to know that you know, a 50% increase in A and A stars, which is what the, you know, which is what we've seen when you compare last year to this year, there are 50% more A and A star grades. Then the, if we had taken exams and gone through the normal assessment process, the grade boundaries would have been revised yeah, to, to smooth justice. that yeah. spike back down again. Yeah. And, and so I think it, the whole thing... It, it, I mean, that comes out, that comes from the competitive nature that we have. And I think that's what Terry was getting at. So in a way, he's kind of reinforcing all my, as, as, as a teacher, as a former teacher, and as someone who's passionate about education, this is what I hate about the current system. It's the massive competition, um, which has um, very high stakes testing. And what's, I think we, what we have to remember here is these were not exam grades. So they were never going to be like for like. They were teacher assessment and teacher mm. assessment is different. So 
Someone said to me, um, I think it was on Facebook, on my own Facebook page, someone I used to go to school with came on and said, oh, I knew the teachers would cheat. And I said, but they're not cheating. They're doing teacher assessment. Teacher assessment is different to exams. But coming back to the, the grade inflation, this has been going on for decades now. And, I, you know, um, you know the, at university now, you have to do a master's to basically have the equivalence in terms of bargaining power of, uh, you know, in terms of qualifications out in the world, world of work. And, you know, loads of students go on to do masters now, whereas when I left university, it was really rare. Now loads of people go on to do PhDs, which was kind of, you know, again, so that grade inflation is happening. But it will happen. It will happen. And particularly all the time you've got league tables, which I would get rid of yeah. tomorrow if I could. And then a lot of this, a lot of this accusations of massaging, of cheating, of pressure on teachers to constantly be better, not only than their colleagues, but other schools, etc. It would we would disappear. You never know. We might all be talking very harmoniously about um, improving life chances for yeah. young people. With or without exams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I totally agree with that, Susie. And I, I mean, I welcome the fact that there'll be no league tables next year. Um, but I'm sure schools will still get the banners printed, you know, best results ever and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and I just, we, I think we've got into a, a situation now. I mean, on my background was, was, was drama and drama teaching. Um, and years ago, you would take on any student, come, come to drama, come and do the course, boost your confidence. doesn't matter if you're going to get the highest possible grade. What you'll get from it is... Um, you know, enjoyment and, and some confidence and, and hopefully will set you up for the workplace. But there are, are stories out there now and you see it all the time of, of teachers auditioning students for their course, you know, and if they and discouraging them from taking the course, because if they don't make the grade, it will reflect badly on the teacher's residuals. Um, and, and that is that, that that's a worry for me because that suggests that it's more about, um, you know, scrutiny and observations and, and passing the grade and beta and all those sort of things then not the well-being is probably not the right word to use but the certainly the choices of the the, the children that are in front of you um you know i get quite good results with, with my students but i would take anyone and if anyone got kicked out of another subject send them to me you know and and, and they can do a course where regardless if they get the highest possible grade they will get something from it and we're losing that now um and there is pressure put on teachers to uh, ensure that uh, students who are have lots of absence or who have you know, had a difficult time in their life continue to make progress and I don't always believe that it's um, entirely accurate and, and I think that leads us Terry to the you know one of the fallouts of the of the u-turn is that for those students who have gone down the the b-tech route which I have personally I have a lot of time for in terms of that sort of a more continual assessment that those grades are still not out because as i understand it there is a there's a behind the scenes scuffle going on that says well all of the a level grades have been in or a significant proportion have been inflated so if you're now trying to compare a btex student against an a level student yeah. the btex student is now disadvantaged yeah, so it, it's caused a, a bit of a knock-on effect because of the, the, the U-turn on, on the A-level grades, isn't it? I mean, look, in terms of BTEC, I, I, again, I don't think BTEC's um, innocent in terms of uh, the league tables and the grade grabbing as well. I know some secondary schools um, put entire cohorts through a, a BTEC over a, a two-day or three-day period so that they can get an, a, an easy grade and, and boost them up the league table. And the stories of um, students doing a, a BTEC in skiing, that have never been skiing or wrestling for sports, you know, because they know that they can coach them through it very quickly and, and boost themselves up the league table. So, you know, I think that's a concern. Um, and it goes into that, back into that idea of league tables, that Susie said, being a, a very difficult um, thing because of the pressure that head teachers and leaders in schools um, put on that. Um, to you know, sometimes protect yes the school's reputation, but also their own. Um, with this, I think probably the right thing to do we strip it back to the basics is give it some time so that they can have a look at it and get it right. Is it ideal? No, but is it the right thing to do to to have another look at it and make sure they get it right? I think probably yes. I I think I think the the U turn generally really 
I mean, I know it's hindsight's a great thing. It should have happened earlier. But this has been the worst possible outcome for all sectors within education. Because, I mean, I, I still just work at the university. And, um, and, you know, of course, they responded to a situation where they thought there weren't going to be this U-turn. And so it was interesting. I was uh, um, somewhere where, the, where A-level results were being opened. And it was a really weird atmosphere because a lot of these young people were opening their grades in front of me, really disappointed at their grades, then being advised by the careers teachers to go and look at their emails and finding out that they'd got into the, their university on the deflated grades because the universities were trying to be reasonable for those young people by saying, well, okay, we know that there's, a, you know, we know the algorithm's been doing X, Y, and Z. So they then filled up or allocated those courses, and of course now, you know, then um, you know you, they're in a really difficult position. And we've heard the stories about certain universities really basically telling telling young people to to apply next year or come back next year. What are they going to do this year? There's like mm. it's really, they haven't can't do a gap year because they can't travel. They can't, you know, there's not no. many jobs around. So they it really has been. Um, a right royal uh, mess, and that's really going to hit. You did the, well. You did well to pull out that. It, um, that that's going to really hit the more disadvantaged students even harder, isn't it? Because they're they're frankly not the ones that have um, or come from a family background that has the money to support them for for a year. Yeah. That you know the current situation means that, like you say, they can't go off wandering around. Um, you know, go on a, go on a um, backpacking trip around Europe or or anywhere else. Um, and they're going to struggle probably to actually find a job in the in the current climate. So, um, it, it kind of seems that each each way. Um, I know we, we we the phrase often kind of talk about is you know don't let the perfect be the enemy. You know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You've got to do something. But it kind of just seems that would it not have at least been better to have arrived at this conclusion before results kind of started going out because you could see kind of which way it was heading is that and i think simon just to cut in there yeah that's the piece which i don't understand so if i look at the chronology the the educate the 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 people who are handing out the grades saw the teacher assessed grades and i can only conclude they said there's no way we can hand those out they're too generous they ran their algorithm they saw what it had done. They decided to back that. Scotland announced the, their grades first. There was the backlash. Then the Scottish government did a U-turn and said, all right, we'll go with the, the teacher assessed grades very quickly. And then the piece which becomes even more baffling to me is that the, the English grades were announced. There was a massive Ferrari. There was no, not going to be any U-turn. We're going to stick to our guns. We're going to stick to our guns. We're going to stick to our guns. Oh, sorry, no, you can have the teacher assessed grades. And I think to the point that Susie made there, in terms of, hello, Milsey, um, in terms of engineering the worst possible outcome, that, that feels like where we are today. Well, the, the... And what makes, what makes it worse, Ian, is that I think, it was and i think it was something like the 10th of july there was an education committee which raised this then there was a meeting the following week where that where offqual and all the other people involved in this decision making were saying to the government Are you sure you don't want to revisit this and from what i understand and i wasn't in the room but from what I understand, it was, no, we're going to carry on doing this. So that was even before we had the... Op I see it like one of those runaway lorries where there's all those exit points that you could you could safely come off of, um, even if you end up somewhere you don't quite want to be. And um, and there was one after another after another until they just went over the cliff. It just... Um, yeah, it's, it's it's, it is unprecedented times. I mean, listen, we never, ever would have imagined that we'd have to deal with this sort of thing. And I do think a credit to the government for turning around and saying, you know what, actually, we're going to go to Plan B and doing that. They could have rode it out. And I, I think they chose not to. I mean, it is welcoming, I think, now that in terms of the university places, they've they've lifted the uh, regulate, uh, regulated cap and they've got, you know, medicine and veterinary practice and teaching and all that sort of thing. Um, I think we're going to see less uh, foreign students uh, come over and, and stay residentials. 
uh, um, here. I think we'll probably do see more online um, uh, for those students. Um, and I hope that in time that will, you know, we'll sort the numbers out and that will, you know, we'll look back on it and say, would you know what, actually it was probably the right thing to do to give um, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, it's, but it's um, it's a it's a real difficult thing. It's another another COVID nightmare, isn't it? Really, how do you plan for something like this? I, yeah, I guess that. Go sign, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I, to be fair, Terry, I, I don't think anybody's saying it was the it was the wrong thing to change to for the government. You know, for for Gavin Williamson to change to change his mind when um, you know, ever, when it became clear that basically you know the plan that he was the, the track that he was running to was basically one to chaos and pandemonium. Um, there's a whole kind of yes, I understand the kind of the temptation politically to kind of, um, you know, for opposition parties to kind of say, well, well, the you know, the government should have done this or the government should have done that. It you know, it does seem that there were you know there were missed opportunities to have looked at that again and, and approached it from a different thing. But I think aside from kind of the political angle of it, because that you know that's obviously one kind of thing of it, and we've had a conversation about the process story, which is literally, you know, the process of you know what was the right way to do something when in absence of of an exam and you could argue that you could even say was it the right decision to actually cancel the exams in the first place could you have actually found a way to 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 do them socially distancing so that you actually would have avoided this situation um and then managed the the drop in the amount of teaching that um, students would have got in the run-up because obviously um, schools were closed I don't I don't know you know we can't kind of have that time over again but I guess aside from all of that, the process story, the political angle, the thing to remember is these are these are these are you know these are students, these are people's lives, and these are you know in th these people have been run through you know run through the mill. Yes, we're all dealing with uncertainties with COVID, but I really feel for the students that have been in a situation of not knowing actually what's going to happen next, not knowing. Um, receiving a grade and then being told that they can appeal, but then the appeals process actually being withdrawn a couple of hours after Ofqual put it onto their onto their website, and it and kind of those turn it it would have yes, of course it would have been a better thing to have seen those decisions and those turnarounds made before those grades were actually out, even if it meant yeah. delaying something. It just would have. I'm just conscious that at the end of all of this process, there's people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and I think, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And actually, uh, I think a, a lot of what we've seen has moved away from the student. And the student has to be the focus of, of all of this. It's yeah. been about politics, it's been about teachers. Do we trust them? Do we trust an algorithm? And all of those sort of things. And actually, what we really didn't want is a, a group of people that have already been robbed of, of so much um, um, to suffer. Um, I mean, look, in terms of, of, of the politics, so I think the two main decisions that Williamson has been under scrutiny for is, is one trying to get children back to school, uh, which I support. Um, we, we passed a motion at the council which um, you know which, which supports that, and, and both our colours, blue and yellow, um, both supported that. Uh, you know, Labour abstained on that because of I had a little bit about the unions. I think that probably you know, meant them, um, you know, saying we're not going to vote on that. And the, the PPPG group, um, they were against it, but I mean that's probably because it was a Tory-led thing. And bring themselves, I don't think, to support anything from conservatives. However, you know, that we support. The second was the algorithm, and that hasn't gone um, particularly well. Um, however, I do think there is a lose-lose situation um, with, with it. When things weren't going right, you know, what do you do? Uh, you, 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 there's lots of, you see union uh, officials on the news at the moment a lot saying, you know, the government should have done this quicker and you know, they, 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 they give you that, they flip flop, they've taken their time and yet whenever anything's announced it's criticised and that takes time um, so I think it, it's difficult really um, you know hopefully hopefully though we can move towards um, you know like I said a focus onto the student and less about um, yeah it, 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 teachers and academies and it's, it's an interesting one Terry because I, I, I probably hold what you uh, a fairly controversial view on this which is that is that once the once the government had announced that those, you know, having seen what happened in Scotland, and by not heading that off at the pass, and saying, okay, we've looked at them in private and we agree that these grades aren't fit for purpose, the algorithm's not fit for purpose. I actually believe that having having put the grades out there and having started the process of university clearing and appeals 
I think by you turning at that point, it's my belief that they made the situation worse, not better. Yeah. And that had they have gone through, had they have followed through with a rapid and robust appeals procedure, yeah. we we could have ended up in better shape than we are today. Because I think there is the the legacy of the 2020, you know, unprecedented times will be that, uh, and again, it's a double-edged sword, how many people will look at 2020-based results, you know, A-star, 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 oh, yeah, don't forget that was 2020, when the student may well have nailed all of those grades in good stead, but there'll always be a shadow hanging over this year. And, you know, that's that's my main concern, is that we really can't get into the habit of thinking that this is the cohort that didn't earn their grades because um, then I think it's, you know, we we have to move on from that very, very quickly, I think, because um, it's not fair. Like I said, but... they've already lost their right of passage in terms of prom and all those sort of things and you know, leaving 12 years of education. I come back to my high stakes testing thing, because on results day, there, there are always people who are disappointed and those people who are celebrating. And actually, weirdly, it was kind of uh, for different reasons. It was kind of the same thing this week because some of them were disappointed because they knew that they'd had teacher assessment and they still didn't do that well so that's but then it was their teacher's fault as it were but but actually um it's always been a little bit like that um on results day anyway mm. and um and and that's what happens when you put everything on 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 exams so i know what people are going to say they're going to say oh are they the cohort of 2020 in which case their their results are devalued what I would love to see out of this as another silver lining, because there are silver linings coming out of this awful situation, is a revisit to the conversation about high stakes testing and about what is learning and what is achievement and what is doing well. Now, I I mean, I am lo- it's really interesting. I was something where there was four of us. All of us had either bombed our O-levels or our A-levels. Mine was my A-levels. It was the end of the world. I was never going to do anything. I was never going to do this, this and this. And I had myself to blame um, in the sense that I could have maybe been doing other stuff during my sixth month than than partying. Um, But also, I wasn't, I was never good at exams. Now, I never blamed anyone else for that. It was just a fact of life that I would do really well in coursework and I wouldn't do well in exams. And other doors have opened up to me. Maybe I'm doing something different than I would have done, but I, you know, I wouldn't say I've had a failure of a career and therefore I look back. I can't actually even remember my grades from my GCSEs which I did well at. Um, I remember my A-levels because I did really badly. So I suppose my point is, is that exams are one form of assessment. They shouldn't define you. But actually for some young people, doors have been shut constantly because they haven't had that weight of a teacher assessment. And if and if you do do consistently well in course, it makes you motivated in life and develop those skills, then what a shame if doors are shut because you didn't, in a snapshot on one day of an exam, do well. So I think there's swings and roundabouts to this, and that's what I'd love to see out of it, is um, not saying, oh, my God, these kids aren't this clever, look at what teachers have done they've inflated the grades by 40 percent is instead of that saying wow look at the potential in a lot of our young people if only they weren't defined by a snapshot exam i think that's a great point susie and but i think it's that balancing act isn't it between as you say you know i i i I am old enough to be pre-gcse so I, i i was in O levels and I, I I did ever so well except for the fact that I failed maths and English, which was rather a which was rather a, a, a kind of a lash up on my part. But it was interesting that that if I look at you know we're going back a number of years now, you know late eighties, there seems to be now a conveyor belt that says everybody goes on to do higher education, and then you know if I remember my A level class 
probably only 20% went on to do a degree. And I don't know what the numbers are now. So it is, you, you made the point earlier about masters and PhDs and everything else. There is an element of when you've got that piece of paper in front of you, that letter or that number or, you know, whatever that identifier is of performance, you know, in, in five, 10 years time, that that's all that we've got to, to go on when you're looking at CVs. Except that we hear that employers don't look at only that. They look at what else did you do? Did you do voluntary work? What character, you know, the whole thing around character, the whole thing about other experiences. Um, this is what we hear time and time again. I'm not saying, I'm not actually anti-exam. I'm just mm. saying that when you put that as the only measure of the worth of someone coming out of school, then you have the potential not only to do those young people a disservice, but also if you go back to the aims of education, I always say that broadly, and I think I said this last time I was on here, broadly three things is about creating a workforce, um, enjoyment, education for its own sake. And the third aim is really about what sort of society do we want and inducting people into that. Then actually, even if you go to the most um, economically driven one of those, which is the workforce, exams results are not the only way to determine what sort of workforce that you want. And it's not about sorting out the clever ones from the non-clever ones. It's like, if we could reimagine um, what assessment looks like within that aim of education as, you know, providing a good economy, there's tons of opportunities there. And Yeah, and I think we see that in Portsmouth quite a lot, don't we, as well? You know, I think Portsmouth has this confidence and um, students, children in Portsmouth do tend to have this this huge confidence. And, um, you know, I think I've always spoke about employability and always seen importance of, you know, really improving um, explorative talk and, and that sort of stuff. And Pompey does quite well at that. Um, I think our kids do tend to be quite confident and well-spoken and probably would do very well in, in interviews if they can get the interviews. And, you know, that's the problem. Um, often I think to get in there and prove your worth and say, do you know what, you know, I'm trustworthy, I'm confident. Um, however, my results aren't as good as, you know, this shrinking violet next to me with straight A's or straight level nines. Um, that's the hard part. So that's where I think employers should be a little bit more, um, look at the, the, the employability element and get and try and get people in front of them. Because one of the hardest things is to get students in front of employers if they haven't made the grade. And that, that's the, that, I guess that's the thing is, so, sorry, Ian, how, how, do you, how do you design a system that allows employers um, or even further educational establishments understand the capability of the person that's, that's applying to them? Um, obviously, a grade in an exam is an easy way. And, and um, weirdly, obviously, employers will have um, programs and you know if you apply for jobs and you know you upload a cv or actually every employer asks you to fill in all those details on their own on their own um, application site and, and i should imagine at the back end of that it's sifting out a lot of the people that don't fulfill whatever educational level requirement they they feel is relevant for their workplace um but actually that isn't necessarily, you know, to speak to what Susie's saying, isn't necessarily a real reflection of the capabilities or, re, or even the, um, the personality or, um, or, or the abilities of, of, the, of the person that's applying. So it's, it's kind of like a, how do you, the $64 million question is, how do you design an education system that provides employees with a way of being able to assess applicants, but also... It, um, excites engages and informs um future generations um to learn and to and to you know how to 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 feed you know to quench the thirst for learning actually to want to learn things for the sake of learning i mean i, I was a sad git when I, I mean i'm still a sad git but when i was when i was younger <laughs> i would i i'd, I'd be that you know I'd, i would sit and open a dictionary at a random page in order to in order to learn new words or to uh, and to do things to do things um like that um, um but my grades at school were, were rubbish they're not really you know because they're all they were a reflection of was just how lazy i was when i was when i was 16 um so you know my 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 grades at college i mean i um i 
didn't go on. I mean, I, I attempted further education, but bailed out in order to, to in order to seek for full time employment. But it's not necessarily been a reflection of the sorts of things I can do um, in a in a career. And if you'd like to understand those and would like me to email you my CV, then please, if you just email Pompey Politics. Um, podcast at gmail.com I'd be more than happy to do that um, but I, I just kind of feel for I guess the thing that kind of occurs to me is when my daughter was um, she went to priory school um, and she told me about the, the time that because ironically I was in the year that were the first year that did GCSE she was in the last year that did them as they were as they were done at the time and she had a teacher that said to her that you've got to get really good grades in these because you won't be able to you won't have the opportunity to resit them because actually they're changing how everything works and if you don't get a good GCSE grade you won't get into a good college and if you don't get a good college gr- yeah. uh, grade you won't get into a good university and if you don't get a good university your life you'll be basically condemned to a um, to a uh, uh, you know, to a lower earning potential, and your life will be ruined. And I said that's a horrible pressure to put onto a yeah. o- onto a child, and it's um, and I, I just, I, I just, I despair that we frighten the the next generation so much about learning to test that actually we don't we don't encourage them to. Oh, I'm interested in this. I'm going to go find out a bit more because they've got the information at their fingertips. But they're yeah. living in a time when those opportunities are there to them. But crazily, we teach them to fill a box ticking exercise yeah. that actually employers may or may not actually find useful. And I think the first thing to do there, Simon, and you know, I'm waving my performing arts flag here, is to not limit their options and their choices. You know, yeah. how many students can't go down creative routes because. Yeah their school tells them they're only allowed to take one from the creative box you know what's wrong with a student taking you know dance drama music PE art and all of those subjects and um, if they are creative and um, that they tend to be pushed in in the direction of kind of more academic uh, areas um, I mean it is is welcome I mean, there are some 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 really good initiatives out there though I know school 21 in London um, have this fantastic approach they're an academy and they have this excellent approach where they say right we're going to put oracy in in the middle of literacy and numeracy so yes it's important that you know how to work with numbers yes it's important to work construct words but actually we want to build everything around building your confidence and that's really good for you know eal students etc um and everything about their school is about spoken word you know in the corridor there's no uniformed line up in silence and wait to go in to receive your learning instead they're, they're asking them to talk to each other they're asking them to engage and, and discuss things and and the students there can really really debate and that 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 whole vision worked around i think this idea that I think forbes or someone put out that they said 68 percent of employers take the person over the qualification and that sounds fantastic because you go amazing brilliant they're going to pick the right person for that job but it was after interview stage yes and that's the barrier you know and that that yeah. was the problem you know of course mm. you take the person but you've got to get kids into those interviews and i i think that's fascinating terry because i had a discussion a couple of weeks ago so i i, I was writing a job description and a person's specification and i had inherited it sort of half finished and it, it said you know one of the one of the um essentials was has to be educated to degree standard and i said well that's a you know that's a that's quite a bar you know it's a it's a manager role i get that and they said oh yeah that, that's the that's the level that we we would want it at and i pointed out the fact that the, the, the role would have been reporting into myself and I didn't go to university and get a degree. So I couldn't apply yeah, yeah. for the job that exactly. reported into me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and there was this kind of, oh, yeah. you know, and, and again, we then went down that discussion that, you know, at the time I was studying analytical chemistry. So, you know, I, I kind of put it to you that a, you know, a 30-year-old degree in analytical chemistry is is very little use to somebody who now doesn't work in science at all. But yeah. it was, it's that element of, oh, that's that's the tick in the box, education to degree level. Uh, and so I, I think it, it's interesting that this does almost speak to this, you know, how, how valid or relevant are grades and qualifications as time moves forward to be to be fair ian i i always find that argument about oh you know i can't remember any of it or what relevance does that have is slightly spurious in the sense that when when you do whatever type of um 
grade that you have, whether it's from exam or teacher assessment, it should represent that you have attained that level of that body of skills. So either cramming for an exam or for writing if it was teacher assessed. So, and that should still hold. So, I mean, I miraculously got, you know, um, GCSE, no, O-level maths the first time um, and, and struggled when I was teaching year six kids, you know, several years later. But I've obviously jumped through those hoops. So I think it, it, it does summarise that kind of um, at that point in time. But coming, actually, when Simon was talking, it reminded me, and forgive me if I did mention this last time, because I'm a little bit obsessed with Summerhill School which is the school where no one has to go to lessons. But I use, in my teaching of students, I use that a lot because I, I went to alumni event and um, from Summerhill where um, I spoke to this young person who was talking about their degree. And I said to them, well, but you told me that you didn't go to lessons at all. How did you end up getting a degree? And she looked at me as if I was crazy and said, what do you mean? I did a degree. And I said, but how did you get that without any GCSEs? And, I, and she said, I didn't say I didn't get any GCSEs. I said, I left school without any GCSEs. Mm -hmm. And she said, once I decided what I wanted to do at university, I then did, I then worked hard, got my GCSEs, then went to college, then got straight. She did um, three A-levels in nine months and got straight A's, then went on to do a degree. Now I know coming back to Simon's thing about how do we look at the entire education system to, to, to replicate some of what we're saying. I know we can't, you know, I can't even imagine saying, oh, don't bother going to lessons if you don't want to. But it does get to that real kernel of you learn when you're really interested in something. Yeah. And we hear stories of, and I know Terry will agree with this, that you hear stories of um, young people not doing a subject because they, they've heard that the exam is hard or not doing a subject because um, the school is putting them off doing that subject yeah. because the grades are not good nationally and it won't bear well on the mm -hmm. league table. So that, that's the type of thing that genuinely goes on. How lovely would it be to say to a young person, do you know what, you really love doing that? Well, that's great, and that's enough. Um, and, you know, they're more likely to do well in it if they enjoy doing it. So up into grammar schools and vocational schools and tech, so secondary moderns, but that didn't work out very well. Mainly because you were dividing people at the age of 11. 11 plus. I think you're right there, Susie. I think, um, you know, I love all teachers aspire for a love for learning, don't they? You know, and students, yeah. and students to come in and want to learn and want to achieve, um, you know, and that, that's I think, for most uh, a really clear aspiration. And I think it's fair to say that school is not for some people. That doesn't mean that they're not going to go on to be very successful. I mean, yeah. I, I got my degree through the post. Um, I didn't you know, worry about all the pomp and ceremony, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, the prime ministers that uh, never had a degree level education. Um, but it's it's about not writing people off, isn't it? And like I said, school is just not for some people, maybe because of the social element and, and the groups. It might be the school that they go to. Um, but, you know, that love for learning, I think, needs to be um, more of a focus. We can't do that all the while we're looking at data and you know, ragging children, colour grading them and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the positive thing is that, you know, for these, they, they'd survive. They, the other doors will open. And, and particularly the positive thing about education nowadays is there are plenty yeah. of opportunities to go back to it, which I think wasn't the case in the past. Mm. So, you know, people come back. I mean, mature students at university are just adorable and delightful because they want to be there and, and they value the opportunity. So... Yeah, there's an argument there for lifelong learning. If only Whoa. there was a party that had policies about that. Um, um, let me think. Um, so I guess um, trying, to, <laughs> trying to kind of move us towards exiting the class. Um, so um, considering that, I mean, we, we had a message come through from a from an expat, someone that used to live in Sheffield, got called Nick, but now lives in California, who told us not to worry that... Um, that the voters um, are always really forgiving about mistakes to do with promising things you can't deliver in education. Um, so um, on that basis, what grade 
uh, Terry, would you give Gavin Williams's Williamson's performance? I'd have to um, put it through an algorithm, I think, and come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Is algorithm Al Gore dancing badly? Oh, <laughs> no, I hope not. God. No, oh, no. no, no, no. That's that's very poor. <laughs> Gavin Williamson is, is now forgiven. Is that definitely a fail? <laughs> um, Susie, what grade would you give? I think I'd give it a U with the hope that it was downgraded further. Room for improvement. <laughs> Did you want to revise under teacher assessment your your grading, Terry, or are you or are you, um, or are you still sticking with the? I'll let the algorithm decide. I'm, I'm going to stick with it, but I'm going to take the approach that I think lots of mature students back to that. You know, take if, if you're willing to try, then and you want to put the effort in, then you have the opportunity, as we do in this country, wherever you're from, whatever background you're from. If you do want to succeed and you know and obtain a degree or whatever, you can if you're willing to try. And I'm sure that Gavin Williamson, after uh, the last few weeks will be willing to try a bit harder. So he should go back to ed- back into education in order to learn to perform. But sorry, I'm I'm, I'm teasing yeah. that there. Um, yes, uh, you're waffling now. The time has come. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. We're blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris, and our guests have been Susie, oh, Susie Horton, and Terry. And Terry Norton. And I've been Simon Sansbury, and we've decided whether or not... Go away, it should shut up. And that's what we're going to do. Thank you. (laughs)